So we are still in a series right now called We Are the Church, based off of Acts chapter 2, which was not a part of our readings today, but we did include Acts chapter 2, the portion of that, uh, in the bulletin if you need to glance over that real quick. Last week, I preached on the subject of the church being free to sacrifice. And I told three stories uh, last week of individuals who, after they had met Jesus, they gave freely of themselves. And one of the stories that I talked about last week was that of Zacchaeus. And I made this offhand comment. I doubt anybody even really remembers it. But what I said was, oh, the story of Zacchaeus, for some reason, just keeps circling around in my mind a lot lately. Well, for this week, as I was praying and preparing for this service, uh, this sermon, the subject of which is focused on salvation, that we, the church, are focused on the salvation of others. And it comes from Acts chapter 2 in verse 47, where we read that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So again, this week as I was preparing for this, servant, for this sermon, the phrase that just kept bouncing around in my head is the, when Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And, as you know, because we just read the story uh, today, comes at the conclusion of the story of Zacchaeus. And so I thought, okay, Lord, I just can't escape this. We are going to hear from Zacchaeus uh, today as well. So this time, when we look at at Luke chapter 19, I want us to, to kind of reframe the way in which we're looking at the story. Because this story is like a beautiful diamond, and every way you turn the story, there's new light that enters into the diamond. There's, there's new shapes that you see. There's new colors that you see. And so this week, instead of asking, what did Zacchaeus give up? This week, I want us to ask, what is, what is it that Zacchaeus is being saved from? How is it that Zacchaeus is being rescued? Where is Zacchaeus experiencing freedom in this passage? So let's take a closer look. So Zacchaeus, as many of you know, is a chief tax collector. The Romans at this time controlled the entire Mediterranean world, including Israel. They were the oppressors, the Romans. And one of the ways in which they exerted their power over the people who they conquered was by taxing them into oblivion. The people lived in poverty because of all of the taxes that the Romans placed upon them. And so when the Bible says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, that's not just say, that Bible's not just saying something like, oh, he had a really nice white-collar job. It's like the Bible's saying, oh, he just works for the IRS. He's got a nice desk job somewhere. No, when the Bible says that, we're supposed to read that and see, wow, Zacchaeus is a sellout. Like, he's a sellout. He is actually collaborating with the Romans. He is a scoundrel. He is a Jew who betrays his fellow Jews. So imagine, if you will, the horror and the betrayal if one of your own countrymen, one of your own family members, one of, one of the people who you grew up going to school with actually decides to go and pursue a career of collecting taxes for the Romans. Like, you'd be furious about that, right? Well, not only is Zacchaeus a scoundrel, but he also benefits a ton from this. The Bible tells us that he was rich from his endeavors of being a tax collector. So as your bank account would be shrinking day by day, Zacchaeus' bank account would be growing and swelling. His life would be getting more and more comfortable as the days go on. 
So imagine living in Jericho at that time. If you knew Zacchaeus' parents, you'd probably have a hard time looking his mother in the eye. You'd always be wondering to yourself, how did your son grow up to do that? Or when you pass by his, by his house with your children, you'd point to it with your kids and you'd say, don't you dare go anywhere near that house. That is a cursed house. That's where the traitor lives. You see, Zacchaeus was despised and hated. But yet, the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. He was seeking to see Jesus. Why is that? I wonder, why is it that someone like Zacchaeus would be driven to look after and find and seek Jesus? Why is it that he actually wants to see Jesus? Well, I think it's because deep down inside, Zacchaeus knows in the innermost parts of his soul that he is in a living hell and he wants out. He wants freedom. He wants to get out of this situation. He knows that the riches that he has came by robbery. He knows exactly what people are saying behind his back as he walks through the town. He's been cut off from his family. Who in the world would want to be his friend other than fellow scoundrels like himself? Imagine Zacchaeus laying in bed at night and the inner guilt that would be torturing him. The haunting that he would have every night as he tried to fall asleep. You see, it's not just his brothers and his sisters who he's sinned against, but it's God himself. And Zacchaeus is desperate for freedom. He absolutely needs salvation from this castle of torment that he's built up for himself. And so what does Zacchaeus do? Well, he climbs up a sycamore tree. He climbs up a sycamore tree and he hangs out in the branches of this sycamore tree just waiting for Jesus to pass by. Well, sure enough, if Zacchaeus is a scoundrel, well, then Jesus is absolutely scandalous in this moment. Because Jesus walks by, and it wasn't a tree like these. These are super, super tall trees, right? It's, it wasn't a tree like this. But Zacchaeus walk, or Jesus walks by, he sees Zacchaeus hanging out in this sycamore tree, and he looks him right in the eye. And he says, Zacchaeus, I want to come over to your house tonight. I want to have dinner with you. Zacchaeus, or Jesus invites himself over for dinner. How bold is that, right? But the, the people around, they're absolutely furious by this. They're bothered by this. They think it's scandalous. Why would Jesus, a respectable teacher, want to hang out with this sinner like Zacchaeus? But friends, this is so like Jesus. This is what he does all throughout the pages of the Bible. Is Jesus afraid of Zacchaeus' reputation? Is Jesus worried about what others will think of him? Does Jesus avoid Zacchaeus because he's a, a sinner, quote unquote? No, of course not. Not at all. So friends, if you are here today and you think that somehow you are out of place or that you think maybe you don't belong here or maybe you feel awkward or maybe there's something that's hounding you from your past, let me assure you, based off, this, off of this story, Jesus is not, in, he is not intimidated by that at all. Jesus still wants to draw you into his presence, regardless of your doubts, regardless of your suspicions, regardless of your uncomfortableness. Jesus wants to draw you close. In fact, he wants to have a meal with you. Jesus wants to sit down at your table. He wants to look you in the eye 
And he wants to say, how are you? How are you doing these days? How are you holding up in the midst of a global pandemic? How are you holding up with all of the anxieties of, of this fall coming and school and all of that sort of stuff? Jesus wants to know this about you. He wants to look you in the eyes and say, what is haunting you, my friend? What is it that you need to be freed from? Because again, Jesus says to us over and over again, I came to seek and to save the lost. Now I hear that and I think, whoa, wait a second. I thought it was Zacchaeus who is the seeker. In fact, in verse 3, you read that. You read that Zacchaeus is the one who was seeking after Jesus. But no, what this passage, what I love about this is we see this great reversal. It's not Zacchaeus who's the seeker. It's Jesus who is the seeker. Jesus is the one who scours the earth, who walks around, going from village to village, from home to home, looking for the lost sheep. It's Jesus is the one who wants to find the wounded, who wants to find the sick, who wants to find the broken and bring them, bring you and I into his presence. Jesus is the seeker. Jesus is the savior. And that's an airplane. (laughs) This is called the Nokomis Pause. Uh, If you live under the airport, we frequently talk about the Nokomis pause. Great. (laughs) So Jesus is the seeker. Jesus is the savior. So do you know what a sycamore tree looks like? And I'm not talking about the sycamore trees that that grow here in America. In America, they've got huge trunks. You can probably circle like 10 people around them. I'm not talking about that. In the Middle East, a sycamore tree looks very different. A sycamore tree, it's got a really interesting shape to it. In fact, I was looking around here and I couldn't, I couldn't see one that's quite like it. I think there's one maybe over there that looks like this. But a sycamore tree, as its trunk grows out of the ground, it almost immediately starts to curve and sort of parallel the ground. And then eventually its branches uh, then curve upward. Well, also the branches of a sycamore tree are extremely strong. They're big. You know, you see a sycamore tree and you think, wow, that's, that's a great place where I could build a tree house. That would be a fun uh, tree house tree in that sycamore tree. So its trunks are very low, to, or its branches are very low to the ground. The branches are incredibly strong branches. In fact, if you were to hold your hand out in front of you like this and kind of curl your fingers up, that's probably what a sycamore, tr- that's what a sycamore tree looks like there in the Middle East. So it's the kind of thing that someone like Zacchaeus could really easily just hop onto one of those branches and scurry and move all the way out across one of those branches and keep his eyes peeled for Jesus. So friends, I want restoration to be like that sycamore tree. I want our church to be a low branch church where people are are unintimidated by uh, Jesus himself, uh, where people know that they can easily, where they are unencumbered to, to climb up in our branches and get a glimpse and see who Jesus is. I want people to be able to find our church, people who are locked within the castles of guilt where they've, that they've built up and they've imprisoned their own souls in. I want people who, are, who feel like they're being pushed back by the mob, where they can't get quite a good view of Jesus, where they can easily find that sycamore tree, where they can find those low branches and easily just scurry up into it, where people can come and see a glimpse of Jesus, 
where they can hear their names called out by Jesus himself. And like a guiding hand, may restoration be the kind of church that's able to bring people to a meal with Jesus. May we be like that sycamore tree. So in a few moments, we're going to be coming up and we're going to be partaking in this table together, in this spiritual feast together. So I pray, friends, that as you partake of that bread, that you may dwell on the salvation of God, the freedom that you have experienced by meeting Jesus Christ, and the freedom that he makes freely available to anybody. This table is free for anybody. So even though you or myself or or all of us might be betrayers of God, even though we've spent times in our life um, collaborating with the enemy, God has walked into our world. He has released us from the prisons that we find ourselves in and he is bringing us to his table because he seeks and he desires to seek us and to save us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.